Hello and welcome to Impactability, the Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. This is a show that explores the landscape of the nonprofit organization, big and small, offers some incredibly helpful information and resources, and gives nonprofits a place to share ideas and get advice. I'm your host, Joe Turner. Our show is sponsored by Sukup Strategic Solutions, offering a wide variety of services to help nonprofits maximize their impact. So let's get into solving the problems that might be plaguing your nonprofit. Hey, thanks for joining us for today's edition of Impactability. You know, as the old adage goes, there's strength in numbers. And when you have one person doing a good thing, that's great. When you have a group of people that pool their resources for positive change, that is fantastic. So on today's program, we're going to talk about a collection of these groups or giving circles that are making positive strides all across the country and they're attracting and teaching the next generation of philanthropists as well, which is great news. A giving circle, for those of you not familiar, it's a model of philanthropy in which individuals donate to a pooled grants fund, and then they decide together where to award these grants in their community. Now, along the way, participants learn how to become informed donors by assessing financial statements and develop an increased awareness of local community needs, which is so vital these days. Quite often, these women choose to become personally involved with these community partners as volunteers, board members, donors, and so much more. So on today's program, we're going to talk about Philanos, a network of nearly 80 giving circles representing, get this, 18,000 women. Amazing. Now, their mission is to inspire women's philanthropic leadership and to equip and strengthen collective giving organizations through education and collaboration that promotes informed, impactful grant-making in communities. I love that. Now, collectively, Philanos is raising funds and helping a lot of nonprofits in their various communities around the country. To help us with this discussion, Susan Bedford, the board chair of Philanos. She's been with them for about two years now. She's also the past president and current board member of the Philanthropy Connection in the greater Boston area. She's been working in the nonprofit sector for a lot of years. So let's head up to Boston and welcome Susan Bedford to Impactability. Hi, Susan. Hi, Joe. Thank you. And it's really nice to be here. I appreciate your wonderful introduction to how the collective giving model works. Absolutely. We're going to dig into that big time. So thank you for joining us on this. Now, let's start with that statistic in the opener. Nearly 80 giving circles representing 18,000 women. Susan, that is a lot of dedicated fundraisers. It is, Joe. And giving circles are, for the most part, volunteer run. And it's a lot of feet on the ground learning about philanthropy. And as you said, really understanding what's going on in local communities. Uh, Very often, the affiliate members of Philonos end up funding grassroots startup organizations, which are not attractive to larger funders. And very often through our support, and I've seen this time and again in the funding that the Philanthropy Connection has done, we fund an organization at its early phase and help them to scale up And then larger foundations are really interested in funding them because they've seen a prolonged track record. So talk to us, Susan, about collective giving. Well, let's see. Structurally, collective giving groups are typically either a standalone 501c3 organization or hosted by a local community foundation. So when organizations are hosted, the foundation is taking over some of the administrative responsibilities, 
in exchange typically for a fee. But in any case, they operate the same. As you said, members pooling their funds into a common grants pool, vetting those organizations and applications, and then voting on which local community partners receive the funding. There are 2,500 giving circles across the United States. Uh, And it is estimated that those 2,500 plus giving circles have awarded, this is a pretty staggering number, $1.29 billion. With a B. With a B. Wow. So the impact is strong. And really one of the things that I think is the most beautiful about this model is something you mentioned. Our members tend to get involved with those grantees as donors, as volunteers, and as board members, so that the impact of our grants lasts far longer than the term of the grant itself. So if there's a group of people and they are interested, they're listening to this and they're interested in maybe wanting to do this, how would a group start a giving circle? There is an organization called Philanthropy Together, and it is a network of giving circle networks. Philanthropy Together's mission is to really spread the word about giving circles and make it easy to join one and start one. And they have launched a program called Launchpad, which works with small cohorts of individuals who want to start a giving circle. And Philanthropy Together walks them through all the steps. It's a very, very successful program, has launched a lot of giving circles And uh, I'd highly recommend that for anybody who is interested in starting a circle. So let's go to the other side of the coin now. How does a nonprofit approach a giving circle to get the circle to maybe, you know, fund their organization? Sure. That's a great question. Uh, Giving circles generally announce their funding on their individual websites. And I think it behooves a nonprofit to sign up for those newsletters so they get the funding announcement. We very often get coverage in local press announcing that a particular giving circle has, you know, $450,000 to award and invite applicants to fill out a letter of intent to start that process. All right. Now we're going to go on another part of the circle. How do donors get involved with giving circles? Because if I'm a donor, this sounds, this sounds like a really great way to see my money work. It is, Joe. I mean, the, one of the beauties of the giving circle model is how it leverages an individual's smaller contribution into a large contribution. And again, I would refer anybody who's interested in participating to look at the list of giving circles on the Philanos website and send an email, find out when their next meeting, and invite yourself. But let's be clear on giving circles, Susan. It's not just for women. I mean, men, women, young, old, everyone can be involved in a giving circle, correct? Absolutely, Joe. Uh, Research shows that about 70% of participants in giving circles in the United States are women. But that 30% consists of male and female groups, male-only groups, family giving circles. Giving circles can be established around identity, as I said, or around particular community issues. Just about any topic or any identity can be the basis for forming a giving circle. What kind of impact did the pandemic have on giving circles? Absolutely enormous. 
So many of our giving circles in the Philanos network accelerated the timing at which they gave out their grants. So they abbreviated the grant cycle to make those funds available more quickly to their local community nonprofits. Many giving circles held additional rounds of funding, sort of emergency response funding to do things like support a local hospital or to address particularly acute food insecurity issues locally. And then probably most significantly of all, many giving circles said, jettison what you said you were going to use this money for when we initially gave it to you. You know better where that funding is most needed, so use it there. No strings attached. And that is really the essence of trust-based philanthropy, sort of a power sharing between the donor and the community partner and the faith in the community partner, knowing better where funds need to be applied than someone without that lived experience. This is a great conversation. We're speaking with our guest, Susan Benford, about collective giving, women's giving circles, the amazing transformative work they're doing in their communities. It's time now for a short break, but when we come back, we're going to continue this discussion. We're going to talk about the challenges that women's giving circles are facing, the upsides, including how this model of philanthropy is educating the next generation of philanthropists and making philanthropy accessible to everyday givers. This is all coming up in just a moment. You're listening to Impactability, the Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. I'm Joe Turner. We'll be right back. One of the biggest challenges facing nonprofits today is securing grants. Where do I find information on grants? How do I write a grant? And how do I submit the grant? And then, of course, the dreaded midnight deadlines. Hi, I'm Teresa Stos, and I have been there and done that. At Sukup Strategic Solutions, we have a team of expert grant writers with years of experience writing hundreds of grants for nonprofits just like yours. Visit our website today at SukupStrategicSolutions.com and schedule a free consultation about your grant writing needs. That's S-O-U-K-U-P StrategicSolutions.com. Let's work together and get the grant that your nonprofit deserves. Welcome back to Impactability, the Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Turner. We're speaking with our guest, Susan Benford, about women's collective giving circles and the amazing transformative work they're doing in their communities. Got another edition of Coach's Corner coming up in a few, so stay close by for that. Now, Susan, was there something that, I mean, because you've done this a long time, so is there something that made you a long time ago say, you know what, this, this is my calling? Was there something in particular? I would say, Joe, that I got serious about philanthropy because of my uncle. He was a pediatric ophthalmologic surgeon. And for almost 30 years, he took a month off every summer and volunteered for an organization called Orbis. They had a retrofitted DC-10 plane. And they would take this flying eye hospital to lesser developed countries and teach the local ophthalmologists how to operate using the equipment that they had locally. And I was fortunate enough to go with him on a number of these trips. Um, One of the most memorable was to Sudan. And I saw things like my uncle operate on a four-year-old boy who had cataracts 
And I was there when the bandages came off and the boy can see for the first time. It just, it doesn't get more impressive than that. And the fact that he did this for so many years, um, he felt that it was part of his commitment to being a doctor to help everybody. And if it meant he had to go to them, well, that was part of it as well. And it was um, a life-changing experience for me. Obviously. And, and what a great story to impart with our listeners to encourage everyone. You need to be involved with something. And, and this, that's, just, that's beautiful. So we've talked about the great things that Giving Circles can do. We've talked about the culture of change that collective giving can bring. What are the challenges that you face? Hmm. Another good question. So, as I said, collective giving groups are primarily volunteer run. And many of them in their annual members dues contribution, keep a piece of that contribution to cover and defray operational expenses. Typically, it's often around 10%. But that 10% does not begin to defray or cover the actual cost of running an organization. I mean, think about what you'd need to run an organization of 200 people. You need all the accounting background, you need a website, you need member, you know, member management software, you need tools, Zoom to be able to host online webinars and on and on and on. So those fixed costs, you know, they, they are non-trivial and it means that collective giving groups have to fundraise to cover the gap between what the actual expenses are and what they raise from their members. Still, there are many funders who are only interested in supporting particular programs as opposed to covering operations. And it um, can be for people who don't understand what collective giving groups do, they imagine that a collective giving group merely bundles contributions and passes them on, when in fact, because members do end up getting involved with the nonprofits, the impact of that grant is more than just the money. I can't tell you how many times I've heard nonprofits say, yes, the $25,000 grant was wonderful, but it's not nearly as wonderful as the volunteers and board members we got as a result of our affiliation. I know that Philanos is kind of like an umbrella, as it were, over a large group of giving circles around the country. So I'm wondering if that strength in numbers kind of thing translates to national corporations wanting to partner with you. Sometimes, Joe. uh, Philanos historically has had an in-person national conference every 18 months. And like so many other events, we got waylaid because of COVID. So our last one was in February 2020. And it is is at these national conferences that we really attract national sponsors. In that conference in Seattle in uh, February of 2020, we got out of there just before COVID. Um, Our national sponsors included Schwab, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and the Riggs Foundation. So really a lot of heft there supporting this movement at a national level. You know, when we talked before, Susan, uh, you mentioned that these giving circles are helping to develop the next generation of philanthropists. How so? More and more giving circles 
are starting and growing what is generically called a, a young philanthropist or a next generation program. Younger women who are generally defined as 35 and younger or 45 and younger are recruited for membership. And very often they pay a lower fee than the older, we call them seasoned philanthropists for lack of a better word. And they are, at least in, in my experience with my giving circle in, in the Boston area, those young philanthropists have assumed a disproportionate number of leadership positions. For example, the, one of the co-presidents of the Philanthropy Connection is a young philanthropist. Young philanthropists chair our development committee, you know, co-chair our marketing and communications committee. So they are really stepping into leadership positions. And I had one young philanthropist say to me the other day, that to her, the beauty of this program has been that she's been able to develop skills that she wanted to learn that her full-time job didn't allow. So she took our training on how to read financial statements and became one of the leaders in the financial review of grant applications. And she said, you know, she learned a lot. Imagine if you're a young woman managing a team of 10 women of all ages and getting them to a conclusion about what grants are gonna move further down the grants pipeline. What an incredible experience for a young woman. So the leadership potential of these programs for the young philanthropist is something that is beneficial throughout the organization. The learning is mutual between the older and the younger members. You know, it's, it's interesting you mentioned younger members because there was a recent report entitled Giving Circle Membership, How Collective Giving Impacts Donors. And this report, I remember that it found newer Giving Circle members tend to be more diverse in terms of age, income, race, etc. Are you seeing that as well? Very much so. I would say there's a snowball effect there, Joe. When you get younger members involved, their networks in their workplaces and in their personal lives are much more diverse than the networks of, you know, women my age and retired women. And so the younger members tend to bring in diverse members. And we also see some income diversity as well. Many of the, not many, some of the Philanos affiliates are inviting representatives from the nonprofits they fund to be members and to sit on their boards so that the board has that nonprofit perspective uh, and the membership as well to see both sides of that coin. And the interesting thing about younger members, I would think that, you know, they have a, a different reach in terms of, let's say, social media, for instance. So their reach on their connections and their circles of, of friends, et cetera, is different from an older set. And so you combine that, you, you really have a great powerhouse of, of fundraisers. Without a doubt, those with the greatest social media presence are those who have enticed that cohort of young women to do it. It is second nature to them and not at all intuitive to many older women. Yes, it's such an incredible value add that they bring there, as well as a different perspective of how to do things. And you know, their, their commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion has quite an impact on giving circles. Again, they very often are leading these initiatives 
as giving circles try to figure out how to incorporate DEI principles into what they do internally in terms of their grant making and what kind of nonprofits they're reaching out to in the community. And so the young philanthropists have really, really opened many, many doors that way. And it's got to make you feel good as someone who's been in philanthropies for so many years that you're seeing a, a new generation come along and, and they're they're able to carry the torch and even even carry it brighter and farther than than you have. Yes, Joe. And I would say they are very good at saying, why not? Why don't we do this? Why don't we try this? And it's re- it's required some changes for the giving circles themselves. For example, meetings are more typically held at night because it's not easy for somebody at the start of a career in graduate school or with a young family to attend meetings in the daytime. And meetings have shifted to be near public transportation, for example, instead of out in the suburbs. Uh, But those are just some of the, the give and takes that have been involved in incorporating this incredibly valuable uh, population into giving circles. You know, what I really like about our discussion today, Susan, is that there's a little bit for everyone. For those who are in organizations looking for new grant opportunities, giving circles might be a way to go. For those looking to be part of a giving circle, so much opportunity to do a lot of good collectively. That's the part I like, strength in numbers. Susan, thank you so much for being on Impactability today. This was an outstanding discussion. Thanks so much for the invitation. Well, that sound means it is time for another edition of Coach's Corner. This is where we put our impact coaches to the test. We ask the questions that you send us to give them. We put them on the spot. They've got five minutes to answer it. And these questions are really good. So thank you for sending them. If you haven't sent one, please, by all means, send us a question. Doesn't matter what it is. Our address, impactcoaches at impactability.net. Now, last week we were talking a little bit about sponsorships. How do you engage sponsors for your events that are coming up? And we actually had a follow-up question that we received. So we want to bring our guest impact coach, Christine Rayhill, back. Christine, we're going to put you right back at it because this is kind of similar to what we talked about last week. You did such a fantastic job. I want to give you this question as well. So listen closely. The question is, what are effective partnership and pricing strategies for engaging sponsors? Christine, on Coach's Corner, you have five minutes to answer the question. Your five minutes begins right now. Thank you, Joe. And I appreciate being back to answer this question. I think the first place that nonprofits need to start when thinking about effective pricing and partnership strategies is what's going on in their community. Um, It's important to research what sponsorship levels exist at similar nonprofits within your community to validate your pricing level. I found with many nonprofits I've worked with over the years, they often underprice their sponsor packages or base them on previous years. And they're surprised to find out that they can increase their pricing. The other strategy I recommend at the start is to create opportunities at multiple levels to entice participation for companies who may only be able to give at one level or companies that have a higher level of participation. This is important because, of course, we would like to give companies all at the highest level, but it's really more important to entice 
more companies to support your nonprofit because more endorsements help build your sponsorship program over time. As many of the listeners know, you can get someone in the door at a lower level and then work to increase that as your relationship develops. It's also important to consider reserving an option for exclusive sponsorship or top billing to pitch first to your best prospects. Often a company like a bank, for example, will want to be the only bank on your roster. That's an opportunity for you to leverage your ask for a larger gift for that exclusivity. However, you wanna be sure you're not leaving money on the table. And if you have more than one good prospect in that space, like banks, you may not want to offer that opportunity so that you capture the sponsorship from multiple banks. Another important strategy is to assign sponsorship levels based on past giving, but yet test out higher levels and benefits for aspirational giving. It's important to ask your sponsors what they'd be willing to consider ahead of the ask. What kind of benefits are they interested? That will help you develop your program. And then you want to be flexible and willing to adjust your sponsorship program to the level and benefits based on the appetite of your current prospects. Sponsors talk to each other, so you want to make sure that you offer the same thing to all of your prospects because they expect the playing field to be fair. That doesn't mean that you can't slightly adjust to accommodate sponsors, but you have to keep your program consistent for all. And then you need to make your sponsorship materials easy for sponsors to understand. We often like to use a chart that has different columns for different levels of sponsorship and checks across horizontally of all the benefits that they get at that level. You also wanna think about ways that you can provide creative opportunities for them on site at events through marketing and product display. And it's always important with any fundraising, sponsorship is no different to recognize your sponsors early and often for their support. Another kind of important note that people don't often think about is your distribution list. You want to make sure you control that, but then you capture as much as you can from the company and learn from theirs. And then it's always important to follow up with them and gather feedback on how the program went. And then if you're lucky enough to have a great board of directors who wants to do fundraising, you can leverage them to network and to find the best person to make the ask amongst the group. But it's important to provide them with fundraising training up front arm them with a case statement or talking points about the sponsorship and attend the meeting if possible. When you consider all these best practices and pricing and partnership strategies, it's important to be creative in your fundraising and don't be afraid to dream big. Excellent advice, Christine. Fantastic way to answer that question. Thank you so much for being our impact coach today on Coach's Corner here on Impactability. Oh, it was my pleasure, Joe. Thank you. If you've got a question for Coach's Corner, we want to hear from you. Email them to us at impactcoaches at impactability.net. Again, that's impactcoaches at impactability.net. And if you want to reach me, my email address is joe.turner at impactability.net. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app, and that way you'll get new episodes downloaded just as soon as they come out. 
Also, please give us a review or a rating so that your peers in the nonprofit industry can find us as well. I'm Joe Turner. Thanks for listening. And thank you for all you do to make the world a better place through your nonprofit.